So I wanted to start off this episode by asking you, Justin, about a very significant subplot to the podcast, which is your haircut. How was it? <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like it's this, you know, constant pursuit of me to not look like a gremlin of some sort. <laughs> so I was like counting down the days to when I could get it cut again. And, you know, it felt like risky behavior, especially for someone like me who has done very few things that would put him at risk as far as like going out in public during the pandemic and being in crowds and stuff. But I will say the process was seamless. Um, they were very clean and efficient. They did a temperature check and now I look more like a human. So I, I feel okay. With that said, how are you doing people? This is the Extra Spicy Podcast. I am Justin Phillips. And I'm Solejo. In this episode, we're joined by Brenda Buenviaje, chef and owner of a mini restaurant empire in the Bay Area. Uh, my name is Brenda Buenviaje. I am the chef and owner of Brenda's French Soul Food, Brenda's Meat and Three, and Brenda's in Oakland. Brenda's a pretty cool chef. I like her a lot. I like her food. She does Cajun Creole type stuff. And what I find really exciting about her and so interesting is that she is such a unique character. Like right. Creole food doesn't sell here and yet she makes it work. It's just nice to see her kind of like on that island. And it's a really fantastic island because it has great food, but it's nice to see her like keeping at it. No matter how the public's dining habits change around her, I think it's amazing. We talked about a handful of really great things with Brenda in this interview. We talked about mental health during the pandemic, how you know, you can keep your peace of mind during all of this craziness. Uh, we talked about Southern food and how you kind of adapt that to uh, to this pandemic. We also talked about her new YouTube channel, which was pretty cool. It was a, it's just a lot of really great stuff to hear right now. All comforting, like her food, basically. Brenda, the big thing I wanted to ask you about was, what have you been up to since the pandemic? Clearly, uh, I would love to talk about your video series as well <laughs> that you tipped me off on and your pivot to um, YouTuber. And I'm sure you're going to be raking in the mills like pretty soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. We'll see. What have I been doing? Wow. Uh, Justin, I think the last time we like had an interview, I was crying. I remember that. <laughs> I, was like, I was in shock. Yeah. In hindsight, when you called, I was in shock. And yep, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously it's been quite a ride since then. I, um, what have I done since March? Basically it was March 16th when I called into my staff. I was so like not okay with it that I actually was not able to go in physically. And we had a very tearful decision-making process where we closed Polk Street um, and then we decided to keep Oakland and Meet and Three open. Those restaurants were already doing a pretty good takeout business. Uh, Polk Street is more of the gotta be there, gotta do that convivial atmosphere, very tourist centric restaurant. So I just, you know, just, just, just stopped the bleeding right away. We closed that one first. Um, and then in the few months that that place was closed, it was just managing uh, the takeout. And I don't know if you remember, but one of the first things um, when, we, when we stayed open for uh, takeout delivery in Oakland was uh, one of your guys actually came out and did a little photo shoot with this. And all the photos are us without masks on. Like and that was that first <laughs> and someone shared a picture of, of it because my daughter was in one of the shots and we were all just like, oh my gosh. 
I can't believe you're wearing masks. But we didn't know, you know, like it was a couple of weeks before they even uh, turned that into a mandate. But since then, it was, you know, I, uh, I was a fundraiser for a while. That was not comfortable, but I asked for money for my employees. Uh, since become a homeschool teacher to my children, also not fun. Um, <laughs> what else did we do? Well, I launched a YouTube channel with my oldest child, who's uh, already kind of worked doing a video on his own for pleasure. And I thought, let me channel his little hobby here to, um, you know, for my own purposes. And I guess ultimately for his. Uh, and then we also partnered with this company called Gold Belly to ship nationwide. And that's, that, that all, those things all just happened. And then Polk Street, we just opened, I think, two weeks ago. So that's all. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a couple of things. <laughs> just twiddling your thumbs, sitting on your butt. <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember you, you like just getting the, the heavy stuff out of the way before we get to the fun stuff. But yeah, I remember that phone call with you where you were just, I mean, it was a tough one because you were still in the middle of trying to figure out things like what to do, have those tough conversations. And for anybody that knows you knows um, that your restaurant team's like a really close knit family, like everybody cares about everybody else. And trying to give, like, can you give some perspective to people who might not know what that's like, but in that moment, trying to figure out what you're going to do, trying to figure out how to have these tough conversations and not really knowing the path forward. Like, what's that, what is that feeling like, if you can, like, describe it? Oh, well, the the first feeling was, well, besides the nausea, is just shock. And it, it was it was a team-wide shock. I feel like it took maybe two or three weeks for all of us to settle into the reality of what we were dealing with. And I wanted my, well, my director of operations, Andrew Bloom, who's also a very good friend of mine. He, I think a week into it, he's like, and we, and we forget that we're also uh, mourning a loss. And I was like, it's a, it's a loss, but like, it's not dead. It's just in a coma. And we don't know how long the restaurant's going to be in that coma. So, you know, there's there was still some hope there, but it was just so shocking and confusing and uh, just not know, like just the unknown. I think the unknown for like most people uh, was just a lot to bear. Um, thank God for therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Tell us what your therapist has to impart, because I think many people listening would probably benefit a lot from that wisdom as well. Um, well, for me, um, you know, as a person who's suffered from various degrees of anxiety throughout my most of my adult life, um, what uh, she was able to help me do is uh, maintain a realistic perspective. Because when you're in like that fear mode, it's super easy to just go off the charts. And especially that first three weeks, like the things, you know, it doesn't help to be an anxious person and have a very creative mind because I'm just my own worst enemy. Um, and just, just, you know, the constant like catastrophic thoughts I would subject myself 
too, especially in the middle of the night when you can't sleep anyway, was just, uh, in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, wow, I was really out of my mind. Like I would be, I would get up and I would try to have some sort of normalcy to my day because I was, I've worked this entire time. And I remember driving in between restaurants and just having like the most insane, crazy, catastrophic thoughts that were, I almost felt real. Like I couldn't figure out like what, what was real and wasn't, what wasn't real. So uh, what she was able to do was just to help me like really, you know, I didn't actually write them down, but I would list like, okay, this is reality. <laughs> this is not reality. And then, then we would plug in like, okay, what in the reality part of that can actually happen and what will most likely happen. So what will most likely happen is a vaccine will be created and at some point it will be over and it will end. Like it's, you know, but my, my catastrophic brain was like, this is never gonna end and it's never gonna be okay and we're never gonna go back to normal, whatever that means. And maybe not going back to normal is okay, but we're not, we're not gonna be in lockdown for the rest of our lives. That was an important thing to actually have to pause and remind myself of. So I have a confession to make. I always ask people what their therapists tell them and what they've learned from their therapists as a way of getting cheap therapy for myself. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Um, all my friends now understand why I'm so invested in their journeys towards self-actualization. Right, right. right. I think we've, we've talked about this before. You're, you are the kid who is riding in a car and sees another car passing on the highway where those kids are watching a movie like in the back of the headrest on a screen in the back of the headrest and you just watch the movie over their shoulder. I mean, that's that's basically how I saw the first Land Before Time movie. (laughs) I think that's how we all first saw the Land Before Time movie. It's so (laughs) funny that you brought that up. That's the exact one I was thinking of. (laughs) Ah, yeah. Millennial scumbags, both of us. I mean, that's who we are. I mean, but I think think it's okay because like, you know, I do believe that people that that you know do go to do go to therapy are able to speak with a therapist. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those through osmosis things where you know you learn a lot about yourself, but through that dialogue, I think you also learn a lot about the world around you. And um, not saying that you're going to walk out of a therapy session a, 30, a certified therapist, but you do have tools. Like you do become more equipped. Uh, to deal with the world, you know, as it's presented to you. And I think, you know, like that knowledge is fun to relay to other people. Yeah. No. And I like having frank conversations about mental health feels really important right now, especially right now. I feel like yeah. you and I talk about it all the time, too. Just how we are dealing, how we're holding up because, you know, we're both dealing with shit. <laughs> so yeah. it's yeah. it's good to just be honest about it. Right. Yeah, I think so. It's a weird thing because we've never been through something like this, right? How do you develop the tools in life to deal with something that no one has ever given you advice on how to deal with? You know, it's just a it's just a complicated thing to think about. Yeah. Well, I think a lot about how so many people in so many parts of the world have already had their own apocalypses. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think part yeah. of being sheltered from those apocalypses is just you don't know about it you don't you don't have that resilience you don't have that story that narrative already in your 
oral history or in your body or in your family history. But so many people have been through this before. You've been through this before. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess in varying ways that we have. And, you know, the important thing, uh, you know, especially for me, if I think about, you know, if it's like natural disasters, weather, something like that, I think one of the the important things to do is to, at least it has been for me, is to understand um, how little control I have over the world around me, over, you know, even my own existence at times, right? Like, if you just have your head down and you're like going to work and trying to accomplish adult things, you know, you might be mistaken thinking that you have control over your own existence all the time. And I think for me, it was kind of embracing that um, that idea that I don't, you know, that maybe there are aspects that are just going to happen and I react to them. And that's kind of just a part of life, you know? I feel like that's part of my coping right now. Jeez, I had to work on that. I mean, that's some free advice that you don't have to watch over my shoulder in the car to get. <laughs> I appreciate it, Dr. Phillips. Like before the, God, before the pandemic seems like a lifetime ago, <laughs> but there was like this weird period and I wrote the story about um, how, you know, kind of Creole inspired, New Orleans inspired restaurants, um, ones that came after you and then one that I think was around here for a while. Anyway, there was like a dip in the number of those restaurants around San Francisco and the Bay Area. And why was like, you know, a complicated reason. One is just, you know, the reason why you stuck around is because your food's amazing. And that's part of it. Like some places will come and go just because the food might not be great. But there's also kind of like a tweak in how people eat out at restaurants, what they want to order. Like from your perspective, seeing it, this 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 category of restaurant kind of ebb and flow. Um, why do you think there was like a decline in the number of those places around the Bay Area after a while? I think, um, so I opened Polk Street in 2007. And for the first like three, four years after that, a, a bunch of Southern restaurants opened. And I don't wanna say I started a trend necessarily, <laughs> but you know, it was just post Katrina and there were a lot of displaced mm. folks. And uh, it was, uh, you know, the, the Saints won the Super Bowl. You know, like New Orleans was just getting all this, like national, international love and attention is very, very hip. And I think mm -hmm. there, that a, there was just a trend that started at that time. And, uh, and it built up, I, I think, for like till 2011, 2012. Cause there was, you know, remember there was Alba and there was Boxing Room and yeah. there were all these yeah. other uh, you know, places. And so I think when you have a bubble like that, it's gonna pop anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as far as like running a, a sustainable uh, Southern restaurant, it's tricky because you, uh, you really have to price yourselves properly because, uh, you know, it's kind of like with dim sum, like people just in their minds are only going to spend so much on a certain type of cuisine. And you, you can't do $21 chicken dinner because that's just... It's counterintuitive to a Southerner, like think about that. Um, so there's that. And then there's also just maintaining consistency. And that's that's just, just like the unfun, unsexy part of running restaurants that I, you know, 
that I just, you know, I do it, you know, go in, I'll be a hard ass or I'll hire people to be a hard ass for me. And it's, you know, it's for the greater good, but like, that's not fun. Like, that's not what we want to really have to be doing all the time. But if you do it and you figure out how to do it and you manage it, then you, you know, everyone gets to keep their jobs. You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. I'm Solejo, and we're back with Brenda Buenviaje. One of the things that I think when it comes to uh, like Creole-inspired restaurants that people also have to pay for is time. Time is a huge element in why that food tastes good and the recipes that you have to concoct. Like, do you think, do, yeah, do you think that's a, that's something that people, you know, factor in when they think of Creole food or is it, do they just lump, you know, what's the perspective of it? What's the I don't think, I don't think people factor it in. Um, and maybe that's just kind of a, a, a Southern thing, you know, like mm. we have all the time in the world. So what's the problem? You know, that lazy, yeah. slow pot of beans. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I've never gotten a, a sense from our customers that they were considering our time. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And like to enter into, I don't know. I mean, I know you've been doing some takeout um, into that world where I think people have less respect for time <laughs> and yeah. quality. It. I'm sure it's really weird um, having to package your food as fast food in a sense during the pandemic is its own thing that I think so many chefs have struggled with these past months. Yeah, I've I've have I've really resigned myself to um, just seeing the quality of the food not be, you know, at its at its best. Um, and I've had to remind my staff front and back. So people who are, are cooking and people who are boxing that um, we still need to give the diners like the best experience we can have. So don't just like toss that stuff in the box. Like, let's really think about, you know, how it's being received and what it looks like. And we actually, you know, we really worked on our packaging game, especially in the beginning, because um, I mean, to the point where we were actually ordering different takeout from other restaurants just to see how it was being done. Um, and, and then also managing that while trying not to like completely destroy the environment and, you know, waste a bunch of money on packaging. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, a, a weird balancing act. It does break your heart a little bit to know that like that, that eggs Benedict while good, it's just not going to be nearly as good as if you were eating in the restaurant. Okay, so speaking of Cajun and Creole food, I want to hear from you, Justin. Just what makes it so good? Mm. I mean, maybe part of it is that you don't have to think about it much. If you're making like, obviously, if you're making like red beans and rice or a gumbo or something, you're using, you know, uh, a bunch of ingredients. But I think when it comes to like Southern food, you can be like, I like hot dishes and you can get something that, you know, has a lot of like red pepper in it or something, something that like appeases that that aspect. If you want something sweet, like you can definitely get something that's overtly sweet and it's gonna satisfy that. If you want something salty, it's clearly obvious that you could get, you know, salty Southern food. And I think those like main taste points are um, simple to under understand. You know, you don't, you can kind of shut your brain off and go on autopilot in a good way, I guess. Mm, right. 
Yeah. So you can just, it's good for multitasking emotionally, right? If you want to cry into something, <laughs> a casserole so, is really good to cry into. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you want to, you know, sit on your couch and watch a sad movie under a blanket and eat a bowl of macaroni and cheese, it kind of, it kind of fits. Right. Yeah. Or, ooh, you know, cold fried chicken is a comfort food for me too. And there's something mm. about that texture and the mm. low effort of it that is so soothing. I 100% understand what you're saying. <laughs> I I don't think that is such a great podcast point. I, 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 I'm so glad you said that because I think like cold fried chicken doesn't get it, doesn't get the love that it deserves. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I guess some people are grossed out by cold fried stuff. I don't really know. I don't understand these people, but it is so, especially the good kind, right? It stays crunchy in the fridge. And I think that very fact draws attention to the technique, which you can appreciate the next morning when you're not really thinking too hard, but like crunchy just feels on, on an animal, like visceral level, just so satisfying. See, that's why people need to listen to you. I, I don't even have anything <laughs> to add to that. that. That was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's spot on. But it makes me wonder, though. I mean, so like you and I have both seen this of like this. Um, I want to say it's like an explosion, but it's definitely like an uptick in uh, comfort food during the pandemic. And, you know, Part of our job, too, is to kind of look ahead to see what thing, what trends are going to stay, um, what we're going to say goodbye to at some point. Do you think like this rise in comfort food is going to be a permanent thing like post pandemic? Is this a long term thing of people just wanting to eat that, uh, you know, like the heavy carby, just make your soul happy kind of food? Well, I think eras definitely determine the foods that we eat and the foods that we crave. I mean, think about mm -hmm. your grandparents, right? What kind of food do they want? Yeah. And a lot of the time that has to do with the way they grew up or the traumas they've been through, or even just the really good times that they remember, like they want to remember that through food. Mm. And I think that'll have a lasting effect on us too, as far as being through the pandemic and the kinds of things that we ate, the kinds of things that we had to savor or save up for in these past few months are going to affect us for years down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, so, I, yeah. Comfort food. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Comfort food might be around to say. And, you know, I, it's funny because it's happening at a time where I feel like before 2020, we were seeing a, uh, I knew more younger people uh, who were into exploring if they didn't usually have like a broad kind of palate when it comes to food, they were into exploring other cuisines. Um, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe just, maybe just, that was just the trend for our for a younger part of our generation. But they wanted to eat at more places, try different foods. They wanted to explore a little bit. I definitely think this pandemic has pushed us in the opposite direction. Um, but you know, there's like inherently good things in each of those. Uh, maybe we'll see different restaurants that possibly didn't plan on, you know, diving into comfort food, doing comfort food of their own kind. I don't know. Maybe there's good stuff out of this. The thing that's interesting to me, too, is that the kinds of food videos that we're watching aren't really the most ambitious things or the most, I don't know, avant-garde or whatever. 
It's often just sandwiches or pizza or macaroni. It's the simple stuff. Look, I'll take shortcuts. So I'll go out and buy this like popular Louisiana brand Zatarans, which is, has like, you know, all these like mixing and ingredients and stuff. And uh, I noticed during the pandemic, the shelves were always empty. <laughs> And I called you to complain about oh, this. <laughs> Calm down. I'll make a YouTube channel so you can follow me and become Zatarans free. Look, everyone thank me for the YouTube channel because it was my complaining yeah. behind the scenes. Zatarans actually is a good product. and Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> but but did you ever wonder, like, uh, you know, that goes back to the, to the YouTube channel. Like, we're... Did you notice that people were trying to cook more at home or did you just want to be helpful? Oh my gosh, like what? no, it was, yeah. I started the channel, not just so I could spend more time with my oldest child and pay him to do that. Um, but also I was just tired of answering people's questions. Mm. How do you do this? How do you do mm -hmm. that? And then the emails and like the, you know, can you ship me this? Or like when someone, and, and it's lovely, people are always very lovely and they're like, oh, can you, tell me how to fry your chicken. I'm like, no, I don't have time. I'm a terrible typist. I don't have time to like compose these long ass emails. So I thought, let me just start recording them. Get it out there, done. So part of this was to spend time with your oldest. And uh, I just, so there was like a couple of parts in these channels that just really make, that just really make me laugh. Cause at one point in one of the first videos, you said the phrase. This is not fancy pants cooking. I don't, you expect perfect cubes. And I was like, I absolutely love this. And then you were doing the, um, you know, chopping up the Holy Trinity and you were like, all right, that's good enough. And I felt like it was just this, uh, there's like this relaxed experience tied to it. And it's almost, you know, it's therapeutic for me to watch it, but is it also therapeutic for you to do it? You know, like, <laughs> what do you get out of it? Um, I, you know, I think I'm more satisfied by the idea that the information is out there permanently, so I don't mm. have to keep repeating myself. I know that's <laughs> grumpy. Um, but that, as far as like that perspective goes of like really keeping the, the home cook who might not know how to cook in mind, like you really have my son to thank me, thank for that because ah. I, I'd be like, dude, do I really have to dice this onion again? And he's like, yes, you have to dice the onion again, mom. Like, just do it. Like, well, I'm like, but people, do they really want to watch me dice an onion again? He's like, they might, you know, and just yesterday I was hanging out with a friend and she's like, I know how to dice an onion now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, actually, yeah, Max to think. Wow. Okay. So is Max a an enthusiastic consumer of food media? Like, what is he basing all of this expertise on? His direction? Um, he's 19. <laughs> like, don't all kids just naturally know how to film things for YouTube now? I, I don't know. I, he's been watching me forever. I, I, we have a very nice rapport naturally, um, and he has been he has worked prep in my kitchen, so he's just he's very familiar with it. But he also is very. Uh, he knows the the right way to get tease the the best parts of me out, and he also knows how to manage me when I get grumpy. So he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> dice the celery, 
do it. <laughs> That's a great director. Yeah. That's a wonderful it's, director. <laughs> yeah. It's been the best part of this whole pandemic thing, frankly. Justin, what are the marks of a good cooking YouTube video? Oh, this is that's a really good question. Um, I think, and this might not, this obviously is no indication of if the food turns out good. But I think like <laughs> that's really important. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a great shot at the end of the finished product means a lot to me. Sometimes, like I will skip to the end to be like, what does this? you know, gumbo, not, well, let's not say gumbo, let's say like baking, something that's baking. Let's say like, how do these cookies look in the end? Or how does this cake look in the end? Or how does this roast look in the end? And um, I think that's significant. But I am also really interested in how the chef interacts with the camera because, you know, there aren't people there. So the camera is us, right? Like, I like the idea of them, you know, having some kind of personality with it. And also explaining things. I, I, I feel like over-explaining is better than trying to assume that the uh, the viewer understands what you're doing. So that's my three things. I want to see like really good interaction with the camera, which is great. I want to see someone explain, overly explain things to me and have some really good um, ending food shots. I like mm. that. What about you? What, what makes a good one for you, Soleil? I think I'm the opposite. I don't like when they Ooh. say anything. I hate when a host has any commentary at all. I don't want to hear their voice. I don't want to hear their jokes. I don't want them to look at me. I just want them to cook. Oh, my God. <laughs> so cooking, <laughs> cooking in complete silence, right? Yes. So I can feel that. The ones I like to watch are the Chinese ones. Mm. You know, like the jungle cooking guy who just cooks on a river in his underpants or... Um, Lizzie Chi, who just cooks in this in this like Sichuan village in the mountains and just makes beautiful food for her grandma. I think that's great. So that kind of stuff. Where, like there's no there's no commentary. You just watch them do it and you're just like, how do they do it? And it's not for you to do it. It's just to show off how cool it is. You know, so like, I completely get it. I understand the idea of uh, of a video with not much dialogue. There's this guy. He has a YouTube channel called Fisherman's Life. And it's just kind of like, you know, young, playful dude who goes out like in Northern California and hikes to fishing places or gets on a boat and goes out fishing. It's just him and a camera or maybe a friend and he catches something and brings it back to the uh, shore and then like cooks it. And it's not much talking because, you know, he's kind of by himself. I thoroughly get the enjoyment in that for sure. Mm, that sounds really idyllic. I know it sounds it's so peaceful. I think I watch those videos now just like ah the good kind of isolation. <laughs> yeah, there is that fantasy which I love. So that's all we have with Brenda, but if you want to check out her YouTube channel or find more of her work, here's where you can find her. The name of the YouTube channel is called Cook Like Brenda. You could just go to YouTube and type in Cook Like Brenda or uh, there's uh, links at all of our websites. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. This is really fun. Thank you. Sorry for all the dark stuff. Oh. <laughs> I feel like that's inevitable when we talk about restaurants no, right I'm, now. I'm glad that we that we went there. I appreciate it. Well, it's always fun, Brenda. It was good talking to you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for thinking of all me. Right. I appreciate it. All right. See ya. All right. Bye. Bye. What? What is? What is this? What is this nonsense? 
So up next, we have what is this nonsense? Um, but <laughs> this week is weird. So <laughs> Justin, why don't you just take it? I mean, I we can't call it nonsense. I'm not going to call this one nonsense because I, I kind of love it. I'm just going to say, what is this? This... <laughs> This being the Soleil dining table uh, available at Oliver Space online. Um, it is a table that is sold by this, is it a furniture company, I guess? I guess. It says, here comes the sun and a delicious meal on the Soleil dining table named after Bay Area restaurant critic Soleil Ho with solid beach legs and chic metal detail this dining table is perfect for feeding friends or a well-deserved treat for yourself. So people, if you were going to put this in your basket, you could either pay $14 a month or the retail price of $336. Soleil, what the hell is this? <laughs> well, I know that I also have very solid legs, so they got that <laughs> detail right. <laughs> they didn't cons they they like they didn't consult you on the uh, description. They could have at least involved you in the process or something, right? No, it's funny because I didn't design it or anything. It just you could just do that to people. You could just I name know. things after them. Isn't it crazy? It is the funniest thing. Um, I, I'm like I get it. My mom worked for a catalog when I was a kid, and so she would name things like Soleil shoes or like a Soleil Aww. bikini after me and my sister. But this is different because it's completely random. <laughs> I mean, I will say this. If I know anyone that deserves to have a table named after them, it is you for sure. And I don't know it looks how I like, feel about that, Justin. <laughs> I mean, I feel like in a weird 2020 way, it is quite the compliment. I could, you know, you could have, it could be way worse. Like a, t a dining table that has, quote, solid beach legs and chic metal detail isn't the worst thing in the world am i right i guess i'm i would i don't know my feelings would be different if it was like a 12 dollar table oh yeah i guess so. i guess the price that's the thing that caught my attention too is the price all right so let me ask you this if it's not going to be the 336 dollar table but you were going to be involved in a piece of uh furniture <laughs> that represented who you were what would that be at this point I would want a bathtub. Oh, that's pretty okay. Go on. Like a really deep, fancy bathtub where you can put your knees and your boobs under the water at the same time. <laughs> this is not a pro not a problem that you have as someone who doesn't have boobs, but like, just trust me. The people with boobs who are listening understand. It's gotcha. Frustrating because either your knees are chilly or your chest is chilly. Terrible. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I would want to help create or bring into the world an American style bathtub that is actually deep. What about you? I would be at this point. I mean, I think I felt this way before I got a haircut where I was like, I would be a, one of those lazy boy recliners that has a um, mini fridge built into it. Just because <laughs> <laughs> the, la the laziest piece of furniture you could possibly have just because I was Ooh. feeling rough. I mean, I still like that idea. But now I think I would be this, now that I have a haircut, as we have addressed, I'd probably be the same recliner, just maybe, um, maybe instead of the mini fridge below it, it would just have like really big uh, cup holders. 
Nice. You know, what I love about Lazy Boys and recliners in general is how easily they take on the imprint of a human being's body. For sure. And so it's really creepy when they're not in the lazy chair thing and you're just like, (laughs) it's it's like a ghost. You know what? What Would a million dollar idea be to sell Lazy Boys with celebrity imprints already (laughs) in them? (laughs) That's disgusting. Yes, it would be. Oh, man. All right. Shark Tank, here we come. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Brenda Buendiaje for being in conversation with us. You can read the transcript of our full interview with Brenda at sfchronicle.com slash spicy. And remember to send us any questions or voice memos you might have about food, life, or anything else for our Dear Spicy Advice segment at extra spicy at sfchronicle.com. Thanks for listening.